Hello, once again, welcome to The Kicker, regular podcast of Columbus Business First. In the studio today uh, is our man, newspaper's managing editor, Doug Buchanan, a, a regular name, along with reporters Kerry Gosh and Tom Knox. I'm Dominic Kappa. I'm editor-in-chief with Columbus Business First. And we're going to chat today with Kerry and Tom about some sad news during the week of the death of Denny Griffith. Uh, once president of Columbus College of Art and Design, indeed Griffith was, you know, the champion of champions for CCAD and the uh, and its students and uh, Central Ohio's creative class until his passing. Um, you know, plenty has happened uh, at the school since he stepped down because of his battle with cancer, and we'll get into that. Also, a little we'll get a little deeper into the consequences of the crash of HealthSpot. Columbus startup that was seen as having immense potential uh, as a pioneer in telemedicine. Carrie has covered that company since it was launched. We'll talk with her a little bit about what she's heard since HealthSpot's bankruptcy filing last week. But before we do, uh, Doug has some news about a landmark Columbus business name that may come back in a big way. Yeah, we may be getting a Hoster's uh, beer back. A group is now trying to resurrect the name once again. Uh, you may uh, remember uh, there was a brew pub called Hoster's uh, in the 90s in the brewery district, uh, but it's actually a name that goes back to 1836. Uh, but now uh, they're raising money because they want to bring it back. Uh, back when they were uh, here in the 90s, it was before the current wave of brew pubs uh, and microbreweries. So they think that the timing is right and they're looking to raise some money. Yeah, we'll see. You know, the brewery business has been uh, has been a big deal over the past three or four years in central Ohio. Even today, we got word that uh, that, that BrewDog, which is a Scottish brewer coming into town, uh, has picked Franklinton at least for its first sort of outpost tavern uh, after it opens up its, uh, its brewery in August down in Canal Winchester. So maybe a topic for a, uh, a future podcast. Um, but let's get to the matter at hand. Let's talk a little about, um, about Denny Griffith and, and CCAD. Uh, Denny died earlier this week. Uh, he was well-known in the community uh, for his role at CCAD, was president for, I believe, 16 years, and, uh, and passed away after battling cancer for, boy, a little bit more than two years or so. But, you know, Carrie, I mean, you've, you've, you covered Denny when you covered uh, higher education, and you've been around him for an awful long time. Why don't you talk a little bit about his legacy at, at the college? So uh, if you look just at his tenure at this tiny art school, it would be extraordinary. He, uh, he more than doubled the size of the campus buildings. He got dorms built. Uh, he got a campus green space that he wanted. Uh, ran the first ever capital campaign, raised almost $13 million, doubled the size of the operating budget, increased enrollment, um, just it raised the uh, national uh, profile of the school. Uh, everything he did left it better than when he got there. And, but and, it, and CCAD's profile was not very high. It was, it was uh, there, the, uh, there's a trade group of art schools, and the leader of that told me that this was just a little-known regional school uh, when he got there and now has, is nationally known. I mean, it's not Rhode Island School of Design, but it's it's got a name and largely its name is because of the overhaul he did to the entire curriculum or he led uh, to introduce an entre entrepreneurial side to the education so when these kids graduate they need to run businesses. Yeah, I think Denny always said he want, didn't want to see starving artists. Right. No starving artists. Exactly. Um, so if you just look at that, 
it was a great tenure. But again, this is the 14th largest school in central Ohio. It's about the same size as the Mount Carmel College of Nursing, you know, important institution in its own right. But Denny had the status as he was a celebrity in he was. Columbus. Um, this guy was on the Columbus Partnership. He's sitting there with, uh, with the head of Ohio State, with Les Wexner, with George Barrett, with you know these giant corporations. And here's this 1,200 student school college president. And as Alex Fisher, head of the partnership, told me that he was often pushing uh, the partnership to go in new directions. He'd say there was a, and a quote from him in that 2014 profile. There's no shortage of friction and lively conversations. Denny is right in the middle of it, oftentimes the provocateur. Um, and so that's what I would say is his larger legacy than even what he did for the school, is that throughout Columbus, he helped shatter the myth, uh, the left, left brain, right brain split, that art is somehow a separate entertaining diversion rather than something that is central to economic development. I, I had a conversation, I was back home with an old friend of mine, and you know, he pointed out that 30,000 years ago, you know, these cavemen took, took time out from running away from bears to paint the cave walls. You know, that this is an essential and essential part of our, of our humanity, and also that if uh, Columbus embraced its creativity and its creative class, that it would lead to economic development, and we've seen that in neighborhood after neighborhood play out. So, so with so with Denny gone, where where does the university go? We're now on the second president since he stepped down. He stepped down, I believe, a couple years ago. Yep. It was uh, June of uh, fourteen, and it was he had announced his retirement and planned to, you know, go. He wanted time to do his painting. Uh, they had a home. He and his wife had a home in North Carolina. He was planning a, you know, a, a life of art. And uh, right after that, got hit with this diagnosis. So he, he was robbed of his ability to enjoy it. Uh, that said, that doesn't mean uh, that he spent two years sitting around being sick. And, and uh, rather, he became a, a man with a mission and had an extraordinary productive time uh, producing paintings, sculptures, um, all on a theme of these kind of uh, creature life forms he invented in his mind. And uh, there's a... Uh, a gallery show of his work, I believe, at the um, Kanzani Center at CCAD, where there's a, a memorial for him on Friday as well. Yeah, so sad you lose a lose a, a member like that in the community. But Tom Tom now covers CCAD, has been covering it for uh, for more than a year. Um, and talk to us a little bit about now the succession of presidents that have followed Denny, and you know just where it stands right now. They went out of the box after Denny. They hired, uh, in June 2014, a man named Tom White, who was not much of an academic at all. He had some experience in higher education, but mostly came from the uh, private sector out in California and Los Angeles area. He was a, uh, they had 60 candidates for the job, and the board liked him. They liked his sort of grandiose vision because uh, while nationally known, it's it's not the level that the board wants CCAD to be at. What was that vision that he had? Well, especially, and this is the one thing that, uh, despite the problems with his short tenure at CCAD, entertainment design, which is a big thing going on at CCAD right now, um, 
he really helped get the Ohio Film Group relationship that is now on board and had been trying to do for a couple of years. He got that up and going, and now um, we have these various movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and John Travolta coming here, um, and this really state-of-the-art building on CC80's campus that has um, uh, design work for movies after movies are made, post-production work. So Tom White uh, really got that rolling and secured that relationship that CCAD had been trying to do. Um, but other than that, he, he did not mesh well with uh, either the staff or the business people in, in the city. Um, obviously, we just talked about Denny being um, so well, working well with the, the Fortune 500 companies in town. Uh, but Denny just didn't realize, um, or not, Tom did not realize that you have to go through a lot of different layers when you're working in higher education. Um, people told me that he really tried to get things done, basically my way or the highway, and that rubbed a lot of faculty and staff the wrong way. He largely got rid of their marketing and communications staff um, and spent a lot of money doing a new glossy magazine that um, people had problems with, how much money was spent there. So basically, they went out of the box uh, to their credit, quickly realized that um, it wasn't working, and they parted ways with him after less than a year. There's a parallel there with Denny Griffith's predecessor, who only lasted 18 months, and what I was told is there was a... You know, he changed things that need to be changed at the school, but there was a flurry of memos from the central office that drove everybody nuts. And that was kind of the secret to how uh, how Denny managed. Uh, you know, he's the six foot four, you know, huge presence, you know, commanded a room, but never menacingly. You know, he, he, he gave you the sense that we're going to do this and it's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, and and people said that you know the, he he would get people to make these massive changes, but bring everyone in with him alongside him and make it make them all think it was their idea to begin with. Very collaborative, uh, lead from empathy. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes from him is uh, he said, "A lot of institutions change by being open and honest and oftentimes playful. The ability to laugh when we screwed up the worst helped a lot." He was, I mean, he was, he was the consummate relationship builder to steal a, uh, a bad cliche, but he was. I mean, that, that, that's how he operated. So the question now becomes, we have a new president. Now that, that Tom White is gone, rubbed everybody the wrong way, uh, came out of the private sector, came from L.A., correct? Correct. Okay. And so now we go to whom? Melanie Korn, also from California, okay. uh, but much more in the vein of Danny Griffith. Um, a safer choice than Tom White was, but she's still barely 40 years old, so she's young, but um, she has a good resume. She's been the provost since 2012 of California College of the Arts, which is a bigger and better school than CCAD. Um, and uh, Jim Kunk, the chair of uh, CCAD's board, mentioned that he liked her because she has worked in a bigger, more complex school than CCAD. Um, one of her goals is to increase their enrollment from 1,200 students to 1,600 uh, within five years, which would be a pretty big increase, but she thinks she can do it. Um, she has, uh, she apparently um, did well when meeting with faculty and staff when they're interviewing the finalist, and so uh, she's safer, but still young, but definitely much more of a person who is used to the uh, various um, niche 
things that go on at higher education that don't go on in a private business world that Tom was used to. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how she interacts with the community. I mean, I, I recall just when I came to Columbus, and and, and believe me, I, I, this isn't uh, this isn't braggadocio, but you know, I wrote a column, and it, and it it had to do with that new art. If anybody recalls that new, that big art sign that mm-hmm. they put up, and and I thought it was kind of interesting because. Uh, Columbus, uh, really not so long ago, sort of didn't really have a sharp focus on um, on the art scene and the public art scene. And I just thought that, and, and wrote that, I thought it was just kind of an interesting development that they had over there. And that was when we were an old weekly newspaper and it appeared on Friday. And that Monday morning, I got the call from Denny, uh, who had to introduce himself and had to show me around his campus. And uh, you know, this is from a guy who ran a, a basically a small, you know, a small, very tiny school, 1,200 students, as you said. He was he was very much uh, in the community, and I think that he'll be very much missed by um, by CCAD. But there's other things that are out there. Yeah. So pivoting from the promising future for CCAD to the uh, not so promising past of HealthSpot. Um, which I was pretty stunned, uh, and I think a lot of people were, when they ceased operations at the end of the year and then uh, have now uh, declared Chapter 7 bankruptcy uh, despite raising 40-some million dollars. Isn't that right, Carrie? It was uh, yeah, near 47. Near $47 million, and that was not enough. And now where there's uh, these kiosks sitting in storage, and you know, what's going to happen next? Yeah, there's a, a Gahanna warehouse where you can get a lot of telemedicine done, apparently. So, give us uh, a little bit about HealthSpot's gig. So, what what they they said they were going to revolutionize healthcare and, and by opening up access. So, there's a big big problem is you know people are, have you know the day that you wake up sick, you can't get into your doctor, and um, and maybe you could go to a minute clinic or or ready clinic uh, of of some type. Um, this idea, and, and there's also telemedicine is taking hold, but it's often, uh, oh, you can connect with a doctor by a cell phone app. Uh, and they, they wanted to uh, bridge the gap between the two. They, they made these enclosed booths that were equipped with every manner of uh, medical instrument. You know, there's a thermometer, there's an otoscope, which is the thing you stick in your ear. Um, blood you know, stethoscope, blood yeah. pressure. Yep. Uh, there's a medical. It would be staffed by a medical assistant. You pay them less than an RN to run a, a, a quick care clinic, um, and they could operate the things, uh, the the devices for you. And there'd be a two-way video communication with a physician, who could you know often see you know here's you know you hold the camera over your rash and you could see it magnified better almost than looking at it in person. So that was the idea. Um, Obviously, um, hardware-heavy business. The uh, the booths themselves were made by New Albany's uh, Commercial Vehicle Group. They uh, they make truck bodies, uh, but this is a it was a big round metal sliding door enclosure. I guess that wasn't too big of a leap for them. Um, but then you've got all this equipment. They've got the software in them. Um, they built nearly 200. I've never known that before. Seeing that in the filing, um, deployed 54 of them. But you know I. I haven't got anyone to confirm this to me, but you got to think you, you build these things that cost tens of thousands and then you go to a hospital where every hospital capital procurement person is told, cut your supply budget by 40% this year, I don't care how you do it, and say, here, would you like to buy this multi-10,000 dollar thing that will help you get access in distant areas to your physicians? It, it had to be a hard sell. 
I mean, as you mentioned, like these minute clinics, um, they seem to be doing very well. I mean, it, improving the access for people if they just want to get a, a bare bones diagnosis or you know a prescription. These seem to work just fine. It just uh, it wasn't necessarily that consumers, or we don't really know if if consumers weren't willing to use them, uh, these these telemedicine kiosks, or if it was simply that this was such a capital intensive uh, thing to be building and ma- you know and manning. Uh, these these stations and they just ran out of money before the uh, market could catch up to them. I think it might be the latter. Okay. Um, and I talked to uh, you know the, the, a lot of the demonstrations were up in the Cleveland area, and the doctors I talked to they were they were very praiseful of how it worked out and you know getting access into um, you know they had some in um, you know the type of places where you go sign up for benefits. Yeah. Um, and so the, part of their proposition was that the quick care clinic takes up a lot of real estate in a pharmacy um, and that you could get valuable floor space back with this tinier booth. Oh, okay. And that um, you'd have an agreement with a hospital and they'd be paying the physician and, and, and you'd just, you pharmacy would just be paying a medical assistant rather than a full-time you know, advanced practice nurse. Sure. Um, so it w- th- they had the rollout with uh, Rite Aid and two Marks uh, pharmacies, that's a Northeast Ohio chain. Um, Cleveland Clinic was involved, right? The Cleveland Clinic was a, the partner staffing that one. Uh, they had some stuff down in Florida, uh, and they had just, you know, they just, in October, had put one in a Florida manufacturing manufacturer, which was their next target market, was the employer health market. Have this at your factory or at your big office so that you can reduce your presenteeum um, presenteeism is that when people come to work sick right uh or, you know and, and be more convenient for your workers to get a you know mm-hmm. quick adjustment of their diabetes meds or whatever right. so i mean they had a lot of uh, the the uh, attorney who filed the bankruptcy said they had they had a lot of positive momentum this year um but just not enough yeah i mean it wouldn't be the first time that a business has run out of money before you know even a promising business a promising idea has run out of money before um, you know, be- before they could uh, actually you know make it work, and, 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 and that and that's and that's where I think some of the consequences. We you know we we're talking right now about certainly the consequences for for the, the the developers for for you know health spots investors, but it comes in a community that has been um, has been panned as being uh, not too comfortable with risk, and they raised forty almost forty seven million dollars, and I got to believe that. Health spots crash has implications for the environment of investing in Central Ohio. Something that those people who are of uh, entrepreneurial bent or in the technology community would love to see sort of more vibrant. Absolutely. Um, in what way? And I was going to point out that it, when we we're saying how they ran out, uh, the, the bankruptcy filing listed ninety thousand in cash left. So of the five million in assets, it was almost all hardware okay. um, and software. Uh, the the investors that I talked to are of two minds on this. Uh, we have folks like Mark Kwame. I didn't talk to him for this story, but he, you know he he has said, oh, there's a fear of failing here. So he's coming here with the Silicon Valley mindset, trying to kind of spread this, evangelize this. Uh, that you know you've got to. Try Keep trying things you got, and then part of that is to tolerate failure. Um, this has been, you know, uh, 
this has been pounded on the pulpit for the past couple of years that the central Ohio investing community is too timid. Uh, they always want to see revenue first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, got to take some, you got to swing for some fences. Um, and so part of there, there's a, a group, a venture capital trade group called venture Ohio and its executive director, Fallon Donahue said, no, you know, this should not dampen, dampen the climate at all. Um, People are smart enough to understand that failure comes with the territory. It's a recognition of what doesn't work. So it's it's a good thing. Um, and we're just going to keep pushing towards the big win, you know, the, the big, the company breakout with the huge IPO that will prove it once and for all that, you know, you, you got to swing for the fences and you'll get that big win that'll make up for the failures uh, from before. <clears throat> but... On the other hand, um, you know, interviewing a startup founder about his trajectory, um, and you know, he's raised less than two million over four years, and you know, I said, "Is this going to hurt your chances?" And he said, "It might." You know, we always run into this. He said, "Maybe it, it would hurt more in the healthcare sector than it is in where he particularly is." Uh, but it's now out there. Is here's another. Here's another hurdle I have to overcome in in you know sitting across that table from the people with the check. Well, you know there are there are a lot of hurdles when uh, when you're in a startup, and uh, and this is one of them to add to them. But you know, and is in terms of uh, investment and dampening, whether it tamps down sort of the interest in that, uh, it's like it's like the lottery. You don't win if you don't play, and so we'll see how that plays out. Okay, there you have it. Uh, some insights behind the headlines from our, uh, our reporters. My thanks to, to Carrie, to Tom, and Doug for their thoughts. Of course, you want to know more about what's going on in Central Ohio's business scene. We got it for you. Carrie, Tom, Doug, and other reporters and editors here serve up the news as it breaks, and you can get it online at columbusbusinessfirst.com. We'll even send it to you mornings and afternoons in a tidy little email. It gives you a roundup of the day's happenings. Again, you can find it at columbusbusinessfirst.com. Till next week, when we bring you more on Columbus business from with our authoritative perspective, goodbye. Everybody can say goodbye. See you next goodbye. week. Goodbye.